Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to the Heming Brains List Podcast, Book 7, Chapter 3. Oh man, I can't ever think about what Chapter 3 was about right now. What happened? Tommy Boy is getting into the Senate, apparently. Swim said the mama fishy says, I can, I find, I cannot even muster up a smudge of interest. Yeah, I feel a similar way, actually. In fact, it was almost the... Even further, like, I was like, man, I hope this doesn't go into, like, politics. You know? It's going to make me less interested. Not only am I not interested in it, it will make me less interested overall in the book. Terrific says politics. In the aftermath of Senator Mollendorf's demise, Hagenstrom and Thomas Buddenbrook are both considered good candidates candidates, <clears throat> excuse me, to replace the old senator. I found it interesting that Tony had accumulated some insights into the jurisprudence on account of her divorces, as well as a working understanding of the Constitution. Of course, she is mostly interested in the fact that if Tom becomes a senator, the family's coat of arms will be on display in the town hall of glory to the Buddenbrook family. Her gosh's creepiness and stalkerish behaviour was an unexpected twist at the end of the chapter. He's translating some of the works of a prolific Lope de Vega, essentially Spain's Shakespeare. <clears throat> okay. Uh, Zox says, uh, Gosh seems to be one of those people who read more than do things in their own lives. Like a Don Quixote who never left his house. I like this because it's another thing I can relate to, and how. <laughs> I think you're describing everyone at the moment. Alright, ready to read chapter 4, if you are. You know what, I'm going to do it anyway. Every vacant seat in the Senate must, according to the Constitution, be filled within four weeks. Three of them have passed, and this is Election Day, a day of thaw at the end of February. It is about one o'clock, and people are thronging into Broad Street. <clears throat> they are thronging before the town hall, with its ornamental glazed brick facade, its pointed towers and turrets mounting towards a whitish-grey sky, its covered steps supported on outstanding columns, its pointed arcades through which there is a glimpse of the marketplace and the fountain. The crowd stands steadfastly in the dirty slush that melts beneath their feet. They look into each other's faces and then straight ahead again and crane their necks for beyond that portal in the council room. In fourteen armchairs arranged in a semicircle sit the electors who have been chosen from the Senate and the Assembly and await the proposals of the voting chambers. The affair has spun itself out. It appears that the debate in the chambers will not die down. The struggle is so bitter that up to now no one single unanimous choice has been put before the council. Otherwise, then the Burgomaster would at once announce an election. Extraordinary rumours. Sorry, rumours. Nobody knows whence, nobody knows how, come from within the building and circulate in the street. Perhaps her Kasperson, the elder of the two beetles, who always refers to himself as a servant of the state, is standing inside there and telling what he hears out of the corner of his mouth through his shut teeth, with his eyes turned the other way. The story goes that proposals have been laid before the sitting, but that each of the three chambers has turned in a different name, namely Hagenstrom, Kistenmarker and Burenbrook, 
A secret ballot must now be taken with ballot papers. It is to be hoped that it will show a clear plurality, for people without overshoes are suffering and stamping their feet to warm them. The waiting crowd is made up of all sorts and conditions. There are seafaring characters with bare-tattooed necks and their hands in their pockets of their sailor trousers, grain porters with their incomparably respectable countenances and their blouses and knee breeches of black glazed calico. Drivers who have clambered down from their wagons of piled up sacks and stand whip in hand to wait for the decision. Servant maids in neckerchiefs, aprons and thick striped petticoats with little white caps perched on the backs of their heads and market baskets hanging on their bare arms. Fish and vegetable women with their flat straw baskets. Even a couple of pretty farm girls with Dutch caps, short skirts and long flowing sleeves coming out from their gaily embroidered stay bodies. Mingled among these burgers, shopkeepers who have come out hatless with neighbouring shops to exchange their views, sprucely dressed young men who are apprentices in the business of their fathers or their father's friends, and schoolboys with satchels and bundles of books. Two labourers with bristling sailor beards stand chewing their tobacco. Behind them is an excited lady craning her neck this way and that to get a glimpse of the town hall between their powerful shoulders. She wears a long evening cloak trimmed with brown fur which she holds together from the inside with both hands. Her face is well covered with a thick brown veil. She shifts her feet about in the melting snow. Gwad! Curs ain't getting it this time. Another be he says the one labourer to the other. Nor your mutton head, tis certain he baint. There's no more talk o' him. The votin's between Hagenstrom, Woodenbrook and Kistenmarker, tis all about they now. Tis which, whether which one of the three be ahead of the others, eh? So tis, yes, they do say so. Then I'm minded they'll come choosing Hagenstrom. Eh, smartly, so they'll be choosing Hagenstrom, yet... Ye can tell that to your grandmother, and therewith he spits his tobacco juice on the ground close to his feet, the crowd being too dense to admit of the trajectory. He takes hold of his trousers in both hands and pulls them up higher under his belt and goes on. Hagenstrom, he's a great pig. He'd be so fat that he can't breathe through his own nose, so if be it all over with Kurtz, then I'm for Buttonbrook. Tis a very shrewd chap. So it is, so it is, but Hagenstrom, he's got the money. That bain't the question, this no matter of riches. And then this Buddenbrook, he be so devilish fine with his cuffs and his silk tie and his sticking out moustaches. Hast seen him walk? He hops along like a bird. Ye ninny, that bain't the question no more than the other. They say his sister have put away two men already. The lady in the fur cloak trembles visibly. Eh, that sort of thing. What do you we know about it? Likely the console, he couldn't help it himself. The lady in the veil thinks to herself, he couldn't indeed. That thank God for that, and presses her hands together inside her cloak. And then adds the Buddenbrook partisan, didn't the Burgomaster his own self stand God faith and to his son? Can't you tell something by that? Yes you can't indeed, thinks the lady. Thank heaven that did do some good, she starts. A fresh rumour from the town hall running zigzag through the crowd has reached her ears. The balloting, it seems, has not been decisive. 
Edouard Kistemaker indeed has received fewer votes than the other two candidates, and his name has been dropped, but the struggle goes on between Buddenbrook and Hagenstrom. A sapient citizen remarks that if the voting continues to be even, it will be necessary to appoint five arbitrators. A voice down in front of the entrance steps shouts suddenly, Heen, she has elected Ra for Heen Sias. Heen Sias, be it known, is an habitual drunkard who pedals hot bread on a little wagon through the streets. Everybody roars with laughter and stands on tiptoe to see the wag who is responsible for the joke. The lady in the veil is seized with a nervous giggle. Her shoulders shake for a moment and then give a shrug which expresses as plainly as words, is this the time for tomfoolery like that? She collects herself again and stares with intensity between the two labourers at the town hall, but almost at the same moment her hands slip from her cloak so that it opens in front, her figure relaxes, her shoulders droop. She stands there entirely crushed. Hagenstrom, the word seems to have come from nobody knows where, down from the sky or up from the earth, is everywhere at once. There is no contradiction, so it is decided Hagenstrom. Hagenstrom it is then. One may as well go home. The lady in the veil might have known it was even thus. She will go home. She feels the tears rising in her throat. This state of things has lasted a second or so when the there occurs a shouting and a backward jostling of the throng. It runs through the whole assemblage as those in front press back those behind. And at the same time, something red appears in the doorway. It is the coats of the beadless Kasperson and Ulfeldt. They are in full-dress uniform with white riding breeches, three-cornered hats, yellow gauntlet gloves, and short-dress swords. They appear side by side and make their way through the crowd, which falls back before them. They move like fate, silent, resolved, inexorable, not looking to right or left, with gaze directed towards the ground. They take, according to instructions, the route marked out by the election, and it is not in the direction of Sand Street. They've turned to the right, they are going down Broad Street. The lady in the veil cannot believe her eyes, however all about her people are seeing just what she sees. They are pushing on after the beadless and saying to each other, Isn't it Hagenstrom? It's Buddenbrook. And a group of gentlemen emerge from the portal in excited conversation and hurry with rapid steps down the Broad Street to be the first to offer congratulations. Then the lady holds her cloak together and runs for it. She runs indeed, as seldom lady runs. Her veil blows up, revealing her flushed face, no matter for that. And one of her furred galoshes keeps flapping open in the sloppy snow and hindering her frightfully. Yet she outruns them all. She gains the house at the corner of, Bas of Baker Street. She rings the alarm bell at the vestibule door. Fire, murder, thieves! She shouts at the maid who opens. They're coming, Catherine, they're coming. Takes the stairs and storms into the living room. Her brother himself sits there, certainly a little pale. He puts down his paper and makes a gesture, almost as if to ward her off. But she puts her arms about him and repeats. They're coming, Tom, they're coming. You are the man and Herman Hagenstrom is out. That was Friday. On the following day, Senator Buddenbrook stood in the council hall in the seat of the deceased James Mollendorf, and in the presence of the city fathers they there assembled, and the delegation of Burgesses, he took the oath, I will conscientiously perform the duties of my office, strive with all my power for the good of the state, faithfully obey the constitution, honorably pursue the public will, 
and in the discharge of my office regard neither my own advantage nor that of my relatives and friends. I will support the laws of the state and do justice on all alike, whether rich or poor. In all things where secrecy is needful, I will not speak, and especially will I not reveal what is given me to keep silent. So help me God. Alrighty, there we go. Senator Buddenbrook in the house. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll see you tomorrow.